This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to On Target. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today on the program. We're going to cover a couple of different topics this afternoon. We're going to start by taking you back to a news conference held by the Urban Indigenous Coalition, First Voice. We're also going to hear from Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Newfoundland and Labrador. But back to what I just mentioned first. The Urban Indigenous Coalition, First Voice, they've released a draft report on systemic problems in policing in the province and what it calls the inadequacy of existing oversight mechanisms to address them. The group also highlights a convoluted process for filing complaints against police officers and a critically flawed practice of engaging police to investigate police in both criminal and non-criminal matters. Catherine Fagan led the news conference. Here's some of what she had to say. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, the first voice working group on police oversight um, it was formed in June 2021 um, and its formation really followed years of anecdotal evidence um, from Indigenous peoples as well as women detailing a range of problems in justice and policing. These problems include um, mistreatment by police officers, systemic racism within law enforcement, and a real loss of confidence in the justice system when police are seen not to be held accountable for their actions. So over the course of the last 13 months, we've undertaken extensive legal and policy research um, to develop the draft report that we released yesterday. Um, the report is called uh, Building Trust, Restoring Confidence, Proposals for Strengthening Police Oversight in Newfoundland and Labrador. And it outlines how First Voice proposes the province begin implementing the MMIWG or the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's and Girls Calls for Justice uh, 5.7, and 9.23. Our goal is to lay the, the groundwork for addressing systemic problems with policing as it exists right now. Uh, while the report describes these problems in detail, it is really firmly solution-oriented, um, directed to the provincial government. And the report puts forward a total of 26 proposals for change in five broad categories. And together, these proposals, we feel, offer solutions to some of the systemic problems in policing by advancing three core ideas. Um, the first is creating a new civilian-led police oversight board. And it's this new oversight body that would be politically neutral, independent of police, and reflect the province's diverse communities. And this idea is outlined in the proposals included in groups one and two. And then our second idea focuses really on strengthening and streamlining the public complaints process. And these are proposals in the area described in group three. And then finally, the third core area centers on improving confidence in the serious incident response team uh, known as CERT-NL. Um, and the proposals for doing this are found in group four. Um, we've also come up with a fifth group of proposals, um, identifying additional ideas that are worth further consideration. Implementing the proposals in group five would require work that goes beyond what we've been um, the, the what we've already done in producing the report itself. Um, and we are proud to say that our proposals for change have the uh, enthusiastic support with the enthusiastic support of the following organizations: uh, First Light, uh, the St. John's Status of Women Council, 
the Safe Harbor Outreach Project, known as SHOP, uh, the YWCA St. John's, the Newfoundland and Labrador Human Rights Commission, and the Provincial Advisory Council on the Status of Women. And I actually really want to thank these organizations, along with, along with the community members who volunteered their time and experience by joining our working group for their contributions to the project. Um, our proposals for change really could not have been developed without their participation. I also want to acknowledge the financial and in-kind support that First Voice received for this project from MITAX, the Law Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador, and the Schulich School of Law at Dalhousie University. With the release of our draft report, we are now launching a public engagement process in order to gather um, feedback on our proposals from targeted stakeholders as well as members of the public. Uh, we invite everyone to read the report online at firstvoicenl.ca and to share their thoughts with us directly. And you can reach out to us at policing at firstvoicenl.ca. Um, this feedback will help the working group to re refine our proposals into firm recommendations that we will then deliver to the government in our final report. And that report will be released in the fall. We have no illusions about the scale of the systemic problems that exist in policing, in particular in the justice system more generally. In its final report, the MMIWG inquiry identified a total of 36 calls for justice in these areas alone. In our report, we have sought to address only two of these calls. Um, and while there is much work that urgently needs to be done, the 26 proposals for change that we've put forward seem a reasonable place to start. And that was Catherine Fagan, who led the news conference held by the Urban Indigenous Coalition, First Voice. They've released a draft report on systemic problems in policing in the province and what they're calling the inadequacy of existing oversight mechanisms to address them. We're going to have some of the question and answer session from this news conference. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to On Target. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today. We're going to take you back to that news conference from First Voice. They've released a draft report on systemic problems in policing in the province and what they're calling the inadequacy of existing oversight mechanisms to address them. Catherine Fagan led that news conference. Here's some of the question and answer session with reporters. A consultant just uh, put out a report on the RNC workforce on Friday. Uh, and uh, one of the things she said in the report is that she doesn't believe an independent police board would be uh, wise for this particular police force and said that sometimes they, um, they run into trouble themselves. Do you feel this is going to be a bit of an uphill battle? Um, you know, in, in most ways, the, the report released by Lewis and our report are really um, they work well together in a lot of ways, I think. Um, and the problems that the at the RNC that are described in the Lewis report, um, whether it's racism, sexism, lack of transparency, little or no accountability, poor allocation of resources, um, these are problems that we've heard about as well, and we're taking into consideration for our. Um, report. Um, these are problems that the urban indigenous community in St. John's have been raising with the provincial government for years. Um, so in actuality, we, we think that the Lewis report uh, provides further support for some of the things in the large way that we are looking at by, by, by focusing the light on a lot of these problems. Um, 
So one of our biggest ideas, like you mentioned, was the creation of a civilian-led police oversight board. And we actually think that it would solve many of the biggest problems that the Lewis report identifies, what she calls the, the complicated and sometimes confusing double role that the RNC chief must play as both commanding officer of the force and CEO of the, the corporate entity. And this has led to an, kind of an awkward relationship with government and really poor accountability to the public. Um, and But the Lewis report is largely silent on how best to solve this problem. She was looking at it from a, a different type of angle, really. Um, but we believe that having a police oversight in place would allow the civilian chair of the board to take on the more corporate-oriented responsibility, leaving the chief of police to focus on policing while also improving transparency and accountability. Um, it's a solution that actually has been done in many other jurisdictions across Canada. And although there may have been problems, it's definitely um, uh, much further along and more effective than what we currently have in the province. And it's time for us to catch up in a way that makes sense in our province. So for sure, we're not just copying and pasting things that exist elsewhere that maybe had had problems, but we think that this idea of civilian oversight um, will give you, will give our province and our police forces a chance to really address some of these systemic problems. It, there's not one solution, and the Lewis report looked into a lot of different um, proposals. Like I said, she was looking at it from a slightly different angle, which is why it's an interesting that both of these reports came out at a similar time because we're looking at some um, different sets of proposals that can really together, hopefully, um, really address some of these um, systematic problems, systemic problems. We now go to Mark Quinn. I wonder now, your report's been available for a couple of days. Um, what has the response been from the people who, you know, the organizations that you hope uh, will actually see some real change? Uh, for example, the Justice Department, the police, and CERDNL. Are you satisfied with the response you're getting from them? I think some of that engagement will continue to come in the days ahead. Um, it's really just been a day so far. Um, so we need to give them a chance to read it first, kind of, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've been around now for 13 months and we have had significant engagement already with, um, with the Minister of Justice, um, John Hogan, and I know that um, several times uh, uh, the Fury government, Premier Fury, has talked about reconciliation as being a really key focus that he is expressing, um, that he wants to focus on through his various departments. So, um, you know, I think we're all feeling quite hopeful. I think there's, a, we're coming to a place where I think as a province, as a government, as a police, there's a realization that there's some really transformative changes that are needed. So we're feeling really hopeful because also, um, what we really looked for was changes that we felt were implementable um, and reflective, not only of what people are doing and police force are doing across Canada, but in a way that could really work in our province. Um, and uh, so we'll see in the days to come, but we really call on the government to, to reach out to us, to work together, to find um, the legislative and policy changes that are needed to implement these types of things. And has there been, if I, if I, I'm a, I think I read this in the report, I'm sorry if I, if I misread it, but um, one of the things I think you're seeking is an acknowledgement that there is systemic racism, systemic problems in policing now. Has there been an acknowledgement that that is the case uh, by the organizations uh, such as uh, Justice Department, Police and CERDNL? Um, that might be a question that's best asked from them. You know, of course, you know, when we talk to 
Minister Just the Minister of Justice, they talk about the need for for change and willingness to look at our recommendations. Um, so I'm not sure if there's been a real clear acknowledgement of the systemic nature of some of these problems, um, but I would suggest that's a good question to ask them, and I and I suggest that you do actually. Bailey Howard. Yeah, uh, thanks, Justin. It's Bailey Howard at NTV. I wasn't able to uh, change my name, so it's coming up as David Salter, uh, but it's me. Um, my question, I guess, to start was that um, when this report came out yesterday, I reached out to the Minister of Justice's office to ask if um, you know he'd be speaking to this. Um, he's on vacation, but he sent a statement saying that the Department of Justice is committed to transparency and want people in the province to have, I quote, faith and trust in the administration of justice. Um, so I guess you know them saying that this is about, um, or I guess the department wanting people to have faith in justice in the province do you think justice is you know the only thing we're talking about here because you know we're talking about the roles that um police play here in the province in a number of different ways which we're outlining in the report when it comes to you know even things from example like mental health crises and things so the department only saying that um i guess around um pe wanting people to have faith in the administration of justice i guess what is your take on that well, perhaps the, the the words that were chosen there is a little bit um, narrow, but we can also think about, I mean, the, it's the Department of Justice and Public Safety, so his mandate is is quite large. And, you know, we could only, you know, we wanted to focus what we were looking at as a working group, uh, because, you know, you, you can't, um, you can't address everything at once. And sometimes it, uh, that's not the most, the best solution to find, you know, to finding solutions is sometimes to um, take important pieces of it. You know, like when we, um, uh, when First Voice was created, we wanted to really uh, look at and respond to some of the real priorities of our community. Uh, and so we went and spoke to indigenous communities and community members and organizations and to see what their priorities were and policing and the relationship with the police was a really big priority. So that's why we focused on um, policing for this working group. And the biggest area that we see um, missing is this kind of idea of civilian oversight. You know, there are there are civilian oversight kind of reactive entities like the uh, RNC Complaint Commission and Cert NL, but it's completely absent this idea of proactive um, governance um, of the police that exists in many, many other places. Um, so, you know, of course, this is not the only solution, but hopefully, hopefully it's, a, it's an important piece. Thanks. And that was no criticism to uh, you folks. That was more so like to their statement, just acknowledging the uh, administration of justice, I guess, and, and kind of narrowing it down to that. Um, yeah. I guess, um, you know, my other question would just be, um, you know, where You've acknowledged, I guess, there's three um, categories here, I guess, of things um, in the report um, outlined. So, you know, what do you think is the first step now that this report's been released um, for yourselves and for, you know, the organizations that you're calling on in this? Yeah, well, you know, we, we call this a draft report at this point, because although it was many uh, community organizations that worked together to create the, these um, recommendations. And we're really happy because it was we, were, we all unanimously supported them. There are other um, stakeholders and 
um, people with various points of view on policing that we would still like to engage with. So over the next um, month and a half or so, we're going to be taking more feedback to make sure that uh, we're getting everyone's point of view. And then in the early fall, we'll produce um, our final report. And then at that point, um, we think that the, the I guess the first priority for implementation would be creating a police oversight board. So we would work closely with the, the Minister of Justice for that because we think it's something that is, um, uh, I think that will be received positively by the community, by the police, by the by the government. Um, and so that's, that's, and that has a chance to, because it has an oversight of so much of the policies of budgeting, um, uh, you know, can set community policing priorities. It has such a broad role from a, a proactive kind of point of view that it can really help to implement all kinds of other changes that need to come, such as those ones that were mentioned in the Lewis report. And there you have it. That was just some of the question and answers from reporters and Catherine Fagan of First Voice. We'll have more on this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to On Target. I'm Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain on the program today. Going to go right back to more of the question and answer session from that First Voice news conference earlier this afternoon. They've released a draft report on systemic problems in policing in the province and what it calls the inadequacy of existing oversight mechanisms to address them. Catherine Fagan led that news conference. Here's more of what she had to say to reporters. I actually just spoke to Chief Roach and the uh, Mike Summers, the head of the RNCA, uh, they said, as this is a draft report, they have no uh, desire to comment on it. Have you been given any indication that they want to uh, to be a part of this uh, consultation process? We're, we are happy, you know, if they provide feedback, because like I said, this is the this is the point where if you want to have your say before it comes to final reports, uh, that this is the time to do it. So I guess they can respond afterwards, but if they want, if they have, a, if they feel like something should be added, something that we're not aware of, that could slightly amend or change any of our recommendations, then this is the time to do it. Um, otherwise our final report will be coming out in the fall and you know they're, they're, they're free to respond at that point as well. Um, so. We're, we're here and we're and we're and we're listening and we're open and we realize that there's such a broad range of ideas around policing so we're here to hear them all yeah, thank you obviously one of the key elements in this given the uh, the people looking into it are a police relationship with the indigenous community um uh, do you feel that there is uh, you say that there there is systemic racism can you give uh, any concrete examples of how that has played out for Indigenous people, uh, whether in uh, communities or urban Indigenous? Well, um, this is something that we heard um, again and again and again when we were speaking to community members. Um, you know, I don't really feel comfortable kind of giving examples that were shared with us, kind of one-on-one -on -one examples, except for that it's things that has come up again and again, and and in the and in the news as well. If you kind of do some basic, you know, searching, I'm sure you've you've seen it come through yourself. There's uh, many examples, and the the lack of trust and confidence is is real, and it's deep, particularly in um, Black Indigenous communities, for sure. Back to Mark Quinn here. Yeah, Peter's question is similar to the one I was thinking of, but. Um, 
I wonder if you can say if um, Indigenous uh, people feel they're being served by the police. I think a lot of Indigenous people feel that they are targeted by the police. Um, I think there's a very long, difficult history between the police um, and Indigenous communities, not only in Newfoundland and Labrador, but across Canada, and particularly a long history with the RCMP. Um, so it's a difficult one, and it's hard to change that uh, relationship of lack of trust and, and fear. Um, so again, this comes back to our you know, the most, perhaps the most important of our proposals, which is this idea of creating a civilian led police commission oversight board, whatever you want to call it. Um, because if the police and the chief of police are governed by a group that reflects the community, then the policing is kind of should reflect the policing itself. Um, and so hopefully that will kind of start to shift uh, the power dynamic and just the type of policing and the priorities so yeah, it, it, it's currently a problem and nothing um, that's this historically grounded um, changes overnight, but um, sometimes you need transformative change to do that. And we think that this is, this is some of that. And if I could follow up, um, you know, if there is the creation of a independent uh, civilian led board, how do you ensure that it doesn't reflect the system we have now that's has problems, how do we make sure it's, it does reflect all of the community? So some of the proposals that we have around what that um, board would look like would, would set up requirements for who, um, what that board would, who would be sitting around that, that board table. Um, and we would want people with, who represent um, the indigenous, indigenous diversity of the province, um, the linguistic diversity of the province, women, men, different, you know, we want uh, different parts of the province. Hopefully it would, if you get people around there that really reflect the different aspects of our, of our province's population and communities, um, then hopefully we won't be dealing with just a, a repetition uh, of what's been already going on. And that was Catherine Fagan speaking to reporters following the release of a draft report on systemic problems in policing in the province by First Voice. Stay with us here on On Target. We're speaking with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Newfoundland when we come back. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to On Target. Ben Murphy sitting in for Linda Swain today on the program. We're going to switch gears here for the last few minutes and talk Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Kelly Leach is the executive director of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Eastern Newfoundland and Labrador. She's my next guest on On Target. Kelly, good afternoon and thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. So before we get into some other stuff happening at Big Brothers Big Sisters, I know there is an exciting new fundraiser happening two days in September. What can you tell us? Yes, we're, uh, we're really excited. Brand new event in September's Big Brothers Big Sisters Month. So it's a great time to have a new fundraiser. It is called Megabike. Uh, so this will be our inaugural year, and it's a 30-passenger big bike that people will have the opportunity to ride downtown St. John's on September 14th or 15th. going to be a real fun day on this huge bike, and we are going to pedal for the potential of young people right here in our community. Wow, so everyone will pile into this one bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
30, well, it's actually 29 seats, I guess, for uh, plus a driver. So people will hop on this bike, and uh, they will take that scenic trip around downtown. There will be some other things that we will have included, you know, for those who participate. So uh, this is brand new to Big Brothers Big Sisters. It is uh, traveling across Canada from Vancouver to St. John's. It will be coming here on the ferry. And uh, eight uh, eight agencies across Canada are uh, participating in this event. So right now we're looking for companies, businesses, you know, who might want to have their own bike and have that all branded for, for their ride. And individuals as well can fundraise or donate and book their own seat. So we would encourage people, you know, to go to our website, helpingkids.ca, uh, check out all the details and, you know, reach out and find out more about it. You mentioned how September is Big Brothers Big Sisters Month. Are there any other events planned to celebrate the month? Well, we're still looking at that right now. It's been a pretty hectic time for us trying to uh, compress a lot of really fundraising and events into this year after, you know, COVID uh, really uh, throwing our plans off the rails, I guess, for the last two years. We have Bowl for Kids Sake the end of May. We have a golf tournament in August. We have big uh, the big bike coming, of course, for September. So, yeah, we expect we will do other things and celebrate. Big Brothers Big Sisters Day is actually on a Sunday this year, September 18th. So right now uh, we're just figuring out what we're going to be doing, but definitely want to celebrate and uh, spread, I guess, the word to the community about the important work that we do uh, for young people. You mentioned Bull for Kids' Sake there back at the end of May. How'd that all go? Well, it went well. You know, it was the first time we came back since 2019, and uh, we weren't really sure what to expect. We had great support from the community. I think people were really excited to get back to in-person fundraising. While we didn't raise what we might have raised pre-COVID, we did surpass uh, the goal that we set for ourselves and came in just over $90,000, which was awesome, you know, for the first year coming back. And our golf tournament, we have uh, a women's-only tournament that takes place at Clovelly on August 24th. And as of today, we are almost sold out. So uh, very excited for that event. This will be the ninth year for the girls' golf tournament. So it seems like people are, you know, excited about in-person events, you know, celebrating, coming together. We still try to, you know, look at physical distancing and, and really trying to find follow some of those public health guidelines, I guess, that, that we did have in place. We want people to feel safe and to come out. But, you know, this megabike is certainly one that I think uh, is going to be a real great team-building activity um, for people to come together and enjoy this, you know, amazing ride. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And I know that Big Brothers Big Sisters is is not government-funded like some other programs. So why are fundraisers like the megabike and, and Bull for Kids' Sake so important for Big Brothers Big Sisters? Well, you said it. We're we're not one of those, you know, core-funded government-funded uh, agencies or charities here in the province. So for us right now and the work that we do for youth, we typically have to fundraise or through, you know, sponsorships, grants, and donations come up with over $500,000 a year just to support, you know, the regular programs that we typically deliver, you know, in a calendar year. 
But, Ben, the, the issue I guess we're facing right now is, you know, fundraising has been challenging. You know, we've, we lost significant funds in the last two years. We're trying to bring that amount back. At the same time, we've seen a 102% increase in the requests from families and caregivers to have young people involved in our programs. This is at an all-time high. I mean, I've been here over 20 years, have never seen numbers like this. So right now at this time, we have a short-term enrollment coordinator who is doing nothing but enrolling, you know, these young people and the caregivers throughout the summer to put them on the wait list for that mentor that they are asking to have in their lives. There are over 100 kids still waiting to be enrolled to get to a wait list where, you know, there will be a period that they will sit there waiting to meet that big brother or big sister. And like I said, these are numbers we have never seen really in the last, you know, 20 years of the agency. So we've got a lot of work we want to do. We need to increase our staff capacity to make it happen. And, of course, you know, put that call out as well that there's a real need right now for people to fill the role of the big brother. That, that is specifically the type of mentor that we are looking for. Yeah, and I want to come back to that in just a moment. We're speaking with Kelly Leach, Executive Director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Newfoundland and Labrador. And Kelly, just what you just mentioned there about how, you know, a difficult time with funding down over the last couple of years, you've seen an increase of over 100% of kids wanting to get enrolled in this program. So, I mean, just how difficult a period has this been? How do you try and square that with, you know, less funding, less staff, but higher numbers of kids wanting to get involved? Yeah, I mean, it's been challenging for sure. We uh, Fundraising takes up a lot of time, of course, and staffing resources to try to, to reach targets. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to shift our focus and look more at, you know, reaching companies, foundations, those who have the capacity to support us and maybe look at multi-year funding to help support local programs. And, you know, we are grateful that we've had some of that support come into the agency in recent months, and we are adding one additional staff person, another caseworker right now to our staff team. But in reality, we need to add at least two more. When people get matched, I mean, Ben, you're involved, so you have some idea of what, you know, we do here. But, you know, there's a very... um, I guess, extensive process that people go through. First, to become involved as a mentor or, you know, for the family and the young person to get involved. And then when they are matched, you know, that process of matching a big and a little, that volunteer and the young person, we don't just set them on their way, you know, and say, okay, we hope it all goes well. That is really when our professional caseworkers have to, you know, get right into the process of monitoring that match relationship. And in the first year, there are 22 contacts, mandatory contacts that we have because we have a set of national standards and every agency across Canada follows these standards. So if you think about 22 contacts each year for one match, And one match, of course, really has three participants because there is the caregiver, the young person, and the volunteer. 
so each caseworker we have here, you know, these are professional people who are trained to do this vital work to ensure the safety and well-being of all of our matches. We have outcomes that we want to achieve for young people. So there's a great deal involved in the work that we do, and in order for us to increase the capacity and do more, that really means, you know, having the staffing resources to make it happen. Kelly, you mentioned the need for big brothers and men to fill that role. Just how great is the need? Well, I guess it hasn't changed. It's probably always been the need for 10, 15 years. We always put the cry out right across Canada for big brothers, really. Um, You know, uh, most boys right now that that come in and, and want that individual can wait one to two years. Uh, So now the need has escalated again. We would ask people to consider it. You know, it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to, you know, come in and to involve this young person, you know, in many things that you already do in your own life. This, it, it doesn't take people, you know, who are superheroes, uh, and we can use that word, but sometimes people just think, you know, I, this is not for me. But really, we are looking for people who can, you know, express care, provide support, you know, expand possibilities, uh, spend time with a young person on a regular, consistent basis, whether that's one activity a week or you get together two or three times a month. It's as simple, you know, as kicking around a soccer ball, going for a drive in the car, you know, um, going for ice cream, feeding the ducks. Um, It doesn't have to cost money. Uh, But, you know, we need these kids are looking for someone who can be there, who can spend time with them, um, you know, and right now look at the number that are asking for that. So there there is a real need for, for men. And if people are listening, I guess the other thing I should say, this is not for people who are 18 to 35. It seems like, you know, the mindset of so many is that um, when I'm 70, I'm too old to mentor, and that is certainly not the case. We actually launched a Between Generations program during COVID specifically for mentors 55 and older. So you, if you have the capacity to, uh, you know, be out spending time with a young person, if you have a car, uh, that's another thing you would certainly need then, you know, visit the website, take a look at the program options, and just hit that inquiry button. You know, we'll talk to you and see if it's the right fit. Yeah, and I can certainly attest to a lot of what you just said, Kelly, as a big brother in the program. I mean, you know, there is work to get through to the initial process of, you know, getting involved and, and, and getting set up. But once you do get that match, it really is something special, and it really is quite easy. I mean, it doesn't take that much time out of your day, out of your week, and you really do get to create a pretty special bond with a little brother or a little sister. And it, it really is it really is wonderful. And it can be something as simple as, you know, going to a basketball game. That's what me and my little brother did last Friday. And we had an absolute blast. And uh, I look forward to hanging out with him all the time. And I, I, I hope it's the same thing, vice versa. But uh, no, it really doesn't take much time and uh and you really don't need to be a superhero to do this kind of thing and make an impact in somebody's lives so if anybody is listening you have my support because you certainly can get out and uh and really make a difference and and it really doesn't take too much time out of your day life or weeks so you know I fully recommend for people to get involved but I did want to ask you as well is there a similar need for big sisters 
Uh, well, right now, I mean, when we get those inquiries, to be honest, um, they can wait, right? Uh, right? We tend to get, you know, 90% of the inquiries that come in are to be a big sister. And unfortunately, we can't take everyone who inquires. So many times right now, if they reach out, they may have a waiting period themselves for the enrollment. So it's almost, you know, I catch 22 there. The the boys tend to wait, and then the big sisters wait as well. So um, we don't want to deter anybody from inquiring. I guess the one thing people could know is that there are other program options besides that traditional community-based program. In-school mentoring will be back in September. That's one-on-one, basically being a big brother or big sister in the school environment, one lunch hour a week. So for those, you know, who have that flexibility in their uh, weekly schedule to visit and spend time in a school environment, definitely consider that one, all ages as well. And we also have group mentoring programs. So there are options available uh, for all genders, and we are fully inclusive, and we welcome everyone to consider uh, volunteering or enrolling a young person. You know, reach out. We don't want to deter you with the thoughts of wait lists. You know, reach out, connect with us, ask the questions. Uh, The staff are here and will, you know, love to answer any questions people would have. And, Kelly, just finally, If there are anybody listening out there who this sparks their interest, they think, hey, this is something I want to do, especially if you're a man interested in being a big brother. Just one final plug for how they can get in touch and get this process started. Sure. Well, the easiest way would be the website, of course, uh, helpingkids.ca. You can click uh, volunteer right there and fill out an online form. And we are in the Village Mall right next to Coles on the second floor. You can drop in or the phone number is 368-KIDS. And I should say, Ben, we serve Metro St. John's. So right now the service goes as far as Kellegrews because I certainly understand there's probably people listening outside that service area. But right now at this time our programs are within the metro region. Kelly Leach, Executive Director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Newfoundland and Labrador, thank you for joining me here on On Target. Thank you so much. Well, that just about does it for me here on the program. Thank you for tuning into the show. Have a wonderful afternoon. Linda Swain back tomorrow here on On Target. We'll talk bright and early tomorrow morning on your VOCM mornings. I'm Ben Murphy. Have a safe and happy day.